Before we get started, I want to bring in my good friend Tomas Bernatsky, who is the other half of You Know Me Now, to share a few thoughts with us. Hey, Tomas. Hey, Rex. So we made it to season two. Woo! Yeah, 10th episode now. I'm super excited about the journey we're on. Me too. Uh, so much has already happened in our first season. Is there anything you want to share with our listeners, Tomas, as we launch into season two? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have been getting lots of new listeners recently, and the show is uh, growing. Uh, not sure if our listeners know this, but each episode comes with a episode page on our website at youknowmenow.com, uh, where they can see photos and sometimes videos that uh, relate to the episodes we release. We would encourage everyone to visit. We also want to say thank you to the listeners who have rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really does help uh, get the show recommended to new listeners. Um, if you are enjoying the show, please share with your family and friends who might also like uh, what we are trying to say. Lastly, we want to send a big thank you to Sally, Jason, Kathleen, Apu, and Faith who have supported the show on Patreon. Uh, thank you. It really helps offset the production costs. Okay, anything else, Tomas? No, let's dive right into Season 2. This podcast contains potentially sensitive topics, including strong language, drug use, and other conditions of human suffering. Listener discretion is advised. Wes had excellent hair. Wes had excellent hair, even when it was salt and peppery. Wes had excellent hair, that's for sure. Wes was a good-looking guy. Wes knew everybody. Really? I think so. Yeah. And everybody knew Wes. I think the first thing I noticed about Wes, he just catches a person's eye. He's extremely handsome. He catches everybody's eye because he stands out above the rest. But what kept me just continually seeing him and enjoying him and being his friend was that he is a beautiful person inside. One night I saw him in Fremont and I was heading to a kind of a place where I lived where I was having some troubles and he, he said, Brenda, here, I've got to show you this, you know, and he got me to slow down and he took me into the church there and he took me up the stairway and then he said, we can just sit here. And he just let me just relax and not have to talk, not have to say anything to him. I mean, he was just a friend, a good friend. He kind of knew when people needed their, their moments, especially being out on the street. It's, it's, it's constant. Uh, Wes was full of love, that's for sure. Wes, I, never, I, don't, I don't know if I ever saw Wes really angry. I've seen him disappointed before. And Wes always would try and want to get something going with me musically, but he was really inexperienced, and so I always, you know, kind of blew him off, which I wish I hadn't done now, but you, it's kind of things that happen when people pass. You wish you were nicer. And I wish I was nicer to Wes. He deserved it. I uh, I tolerated him more than I engaged him, you know, and, and uh, I shouldn't have been that way with him. I'm Rex Holbein, and welcome to You Know Me Now, a podcast conversation that strives to amplify the unheard voices in our community. For the past 13 years, I have met and spent a great deal of time with thousands of folks living homeless. Through those conversations and friendships, I learned how destructive and baseless the dehumanizing effects of the negative stereotype are against ordinary people, people who are really just like you and me. 
In these episodes, I want to remind all of our listeners that the folks who share here do so with a great deal of vulnerability and courage. They share a common hope that by giving all of us a window into their world, they're opening an increased level of awareness, understanding, and connection within our own community. There were 310 homeless deaths in 2022 in the Seattle area, a 65% increase over the previous year. Fentanyl-related overdoses accounted for more than half of those deaths. 35 people died from natural causes, 10 died from hypothermia or exposure, and 7 died from suicide. The average age of death was 48. Those are all tragically horrible numbers. It's hard to get your head around them, to even know how to feel. When talking about homelessness, it is easy to get lost in the numbers, in part because the numbers are staggering. But also, the numbers are what get reported on. We hear more about the numbers than the actual people the numbers are about. Now, most of us have not been homeless and have also not spent a great deal of time with someone that has experienced homelessness, meaning we do not have first-hand knowledge about homelessness. Therefore, we rely on second-hand knowledge. And for the most part, second-hand knowledge on homelessness is the negative stereotype. Furthermore, without first-hand knowledge, we have nothing to push back on or challenge the negative stereotype with. For this reason, we readily adopt it and, over time, believe the views are our own, forgetting that they were given to us. In this episode, we want to share about one person who lived chronically homeless in Seattle, just one of the 310 that passed away in 2022. His name is Wes, Wesley Charles Green. He was just 46 years old when he died. The cause of death was listed as systemic hypothermia with acute combination of drug intoxication, including fentanyl and methamphetamine. The night Wes died, the temperatures were in the 20s, and he was found without enough warm clothing. In that Wes is no longer here to share about himself, you'll be getting to know him through his friendships, defined by the feelings of those that were in his life and did get to know him. He talked a lot about his parents. I have for years wanted to meet these two people. He talks about him so loving his mother and his father and about how extremely intelligent they are. But I kind of gathered that because Wes, it's, it's like he has a great knowledge of physics. I don't know if it's schooling or just what it is. He studied on his own. I really don't know his history in that. But, you know, emotions, he's got, he's like the yin and yang of, of, that too, usually when somebody's analytically minded, they're, um, they're not so emotionally in tune. And he's, he was he, just like a whole package. He was balancing it all. He did, was. And, he, and he's just this amazing person that happened to be homeless. This is Brenda, who you heard at the top of the show. She has been in and out of homelessness herself for years. Brenda and Wes were good friends. There was a great deal of respect and care given in their friendship as each navigated their own struggles. I never saw him, like, hanging out. He was kind of a loner. 
and but yet he knew everybody and i'm finding that out now as well because people that are in a group way over there you know he knows this eclectic group of people that are you would never think knew each other because he just he presents himself to people and he's unforgettable partly you know my experience is not only was he attractive he also went out of his way to dress sharp i loved it because it was kind of this it's an office with a punk rock you know he'd have like the perfect socks and shoes and then some ripped up jeans but perfectly ripped up and then you know like a collar shirt but it's wrinkled you know or something you know and like he meant it to be that way yeah. you know yeah. i mean and, a, and usually a very nice jacket always sort, a nice like a yeah. sports jacket or a long a long knee-length coat yep. or something with big buttons or whatever he was a shoe guy and a coat guy and that's the best thing to be in seattle you know layers and he just yeah god he dressed so good yeah and he and then with all that was this intellectual conversation that he seemed to always want to engage people with it was amazing because he's one of three people i could think of that can really get deep and his vocabulary was i just admired it so much i mean he would pull words and i'd be like what does that mean you know and and i thought mine was okay but he can you know a lot of people are turned off by you know on the streets they're just like well i don't understand that or anything i was so intrigued by his vocabulary his parents must i'm sure they had a huge part of that and he was so eloquent eloquence is a really good word for us i think i don't know actually quite how he did it you know with the roughness of homelessness and the uncertainty constantly every day of it he somehow was able to keep that yeah fairly together and look good and yeah. you know and be happy a lot of people you know you could see their good days and their bad days you know they everything shows like i said you know you never really have any privacy to the outside you know world but he i don't care which spot i saw him in but there he was standing there all dressed up and ready to go you know and just do it his thing you know and he was such a necessary part of my life and he is going to be so missed prior to meeting Wes I had seen Wes around my neighborhood in Magnolia for several years um and he was you know he always popped up at different little convenience stores like he'd be sweeping in a parking lot somewhere and I'd be like what is going on with this guy like you know he's kind of dressed nicely but he's sweeping in the parking lot I don't know and and so I just always you know I always wondered about him that was Mindy sharing about Wes she lives in the Magnolia neighborhood in Seattle. Mindy befriended Wes about six months before his death. While his passing is still very emotional for her, she agreed to share about him and their friendship. One day um, in August, I was out walking my dog in the neighborhood, and I heard this kind of loud noise from the bushes. Um, so I decided to cross the street, and I went over, and I said, Are you are you okay? And then the voice says, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And... I said, are you sure? Because it doesn't really sound like you're okay. And then up pops this head of this, you know, like gorgeous man with these beautiful eyes. And, and she sa he says, oh, yeah, I I'm fine. I I'm Wesley. And I said, oh, hi, I'm Mindy. And, and I said, okay, well, just want to make sure you're okay. And, um, and so then, you know, in, in Wesley style, he says, well, do you have a couple dollars you could, you could loan me, you know? <laughs> I said, well, I don't have it with me right now because I'm walking my dog. But I, you know, he's like, well, why don't you meet me down at the, you know, convenience store down there in like 10 minutes and all. And I was like, 
And I don't know what it was. You know, I, there's just something about him. Um, just this, like, magical aura. I don't know. And uh, I said, okay, I'll meet you there. And then I met him there. And I gave him the money. And um, I saw him a few more times after that. And, and then finally I said, you know, Wes, what do you need? How can I help? How can I support you? And he said, you know, I could really use a $40 track phone. Do you think you could get me that? And I said... Yeah, I could, but one condition, and uh, he said, okay, and I said, you need to, you know, connect with people, reconnect to your family, or reach out, I want to make sure that you're, you know, connecting with people, oh, okay, yeah, sure, 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 so got him the phone, and and um, I kept asking him every time I'd see him, did you connect with your family, who'd you connect with, and then one of, he hadn't, and then one of the days he said, well, why don't, why don't you call my Aunt Patty? Call my Aunt Patty and, and can, let, let's talk to my Aunt Patty. And so I said, okay, I'll call her, you know, and um, we called and learned a little bit more about Wes. You know, when I, when I met Wes the first time, there was, there was a couple of things that just immediately struck me differently that I felt drawn. Number one, his eyes. Yeah. There was something about those eyes. Secondly, Amazingly well-spoken person. That was Martin speaking. Like Mindy, he lives in the Magnolia neighborhood. However, they did not know each other until later when Wes connected them. Martin's experience of first meeting Wes was when he was outside in his front yard gardening. A simple question from Wes, who had walked up his driveway, sparked their beautiful friendship. I was doing yard work, and he asked me if he could help me do some work for some money. Because he asked in such a manner of, like, someone well-spoken and just had this sincerity about it, because I knew he was actually wanting to work, as opposed to just, like, I, I will work for food, but I just want my food. And um, and I think he was surprised, because I, I, I have a, a back injury, so I have to watch what, I, what kind of things I do. And so sometimes yard work can really be a little uncomfortable. So I was like, great, you know, let's... Let's get you busy. And um, he, he said, I'm, can I get a little money up front? And I kind of knew what that was for because, you know, being an alcoholic myself. And he says, I just want to go to the store. And I thought, dude, I, I get it 100%. Because um, so there, just, that. yeah, go, go get what you need. Whatever makes you feel good and get you going, then let's do that. So, of course, he was back in a few minutes and and just killed it. I mean, the precision of the work that he did, you know, he trimmed and, and then swept. And I mean, I was just thinking, do, 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 I'm done. But he was just here for a while. You know, I want to just point out or pause for a second on that that little moment where, you know, you decided, yes, go ahead, go to the store, right? Because that's a big moment. Because I, I would guess, take 10 people, eight would have said no. You know, would have said, hey, man, I'm not going to do that. You want to do the work? Do the work. I'll pay you for the work. Right? And then you can go to the store. And I, I mean, I think that's, that's beautiful. And also you can see how it was a stepping stone to not only success for working for you, but to your friendship. Yeah. A certain level of trust. And, and I think what I heard you say, too, is knowledge from your own kind of your own history you understood that moment yeah 
I, I knew that, you know, uh, for myself, I, 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 there's a lot of things I did when I was consuming alcohol and, and I was inebriated that I probably shouldn't have been doing. But to me, I felt like I was, I was at my best if I just, you know, got just enough in my system. I was in that perfect zone. And so I completely understood where he's, he needs to be comfortable and he needs to be in that, that space. And, and so I'm like, dude, have at it. Make so it um, let's, let's go. You know, I'm not going to get upset because you're going to drink and then do work for me. It's not that kind of thing. I just, I just completely empathize with the, the discomfort that he could feel physically if he's not um, consuming when he needs to consume. Mindy and Martin's ability to create a meaningful relationship with Wes is an example of what a healthy community could look like. When thinking of homelessness, perhaps it's best if we no longer think of it as a homelessness crisis, but rather a community crisis. When we say homelessness crisis, we talk about those people over there, asking them how they can change to resolve the issue of homelessness. When we talk about a community crisis, we have to include ourselves because we're all part of the community. We also have to ask ourselves the same questions. How can we change to help resolve the issue of homelessness? I'm curious to know how Mindy and Martin were able to make this connection with Wes. Was it their first experience doing this? What was the secret ingredient? Was this the first time or had you done this before with regards to reaching out to somebody on the street? Like, what, what's your track record with the homeless before Wes? You know, this is this is really the first time I ever um, really, really invested in um, someone that was unhoused. I mean, I my office is downtown um, on Third Avenue between Pike and Pine, so you can imagine that I've been exposed to a lot of. Um, they call that the blade. Yes. And, you know, I've, there have been people that I've met in, um, you know, like a mother with kids, I'll give some money, try to maybe help find, like, call somewhere for them. But it just, that was about it. Like, there was never anything this um, extensive and just like a really, a, a really strong bond connecting with someone like Wes. We had this one gentleman who, came up our driveway one day he spoke to my wife first and he wanted he wanted to know if she had like a um, a pottery pot because we weren't sure what he wanted but my wife had all this stuff left over because she's quite the gardener and she has an excess of them and the, the fact that she brought that to him and said here and it was exactly what he asked for it was just like uh, you know lit him up and so he would come by um from time to time to kind of he would bring us gifts, you know, things that he found. But, you know, he was really struggling with addiction to the point that you, there was just, he just eventually disappeared because I just think he, his body gave out. But um, Consumed by it. Yeah. So you got a little little bit of a, occasionally where his mind was starting to go due to heavy use and, 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 and he'd be a little more difficult to, to interact with. But uh, it was nice, you know, his name was uh, Stefan, and so... Um, I love but, that he brought you stuff. Yeah, we'd either he'd knock and, and give it to us, or we'd come out and it'd be on the front porch. And, and, and like with Wes, Stefan was just kind of like a fixture in, in Magnolia, so it was his neighborhood. So you saw him a lot, and 
you just it wasn't just some guy passing through. It was just this guy that I lived across down under the rail uh, overpass right there. It was it was an interesting experience. We didn't know quite how to deal with someone who is that deep into addiction that has obviously some mental illness and obviously has been on the street for a long time because I think you your mind starts to think differently. New friendships are always a journey. Ones between the housed and unhoused can be challenging, to say the least. At times, they are unpredictable and frustrating for both sides. However, there also exists this beautiful opportunity for something genuine and authentic. By crossing the divide, new experiences can be found, ones that bring real meaning to our lives. What you put in is what you get out, comes to mind. Mindy and Martin as housed individuals and Wes as unhoused all reached out in trust and found something genuine. After I got him the phone and I talked to his aunt and then subsequently his uncle Stephen, um, Patty had told Stephen about me and she said, can I have Stephen call you? And I said, yes, please. And I talked to Stephen. And, and again, they're back in Chicago. So um, Patty's in uh, Minnesota and Stephen's in New York. Um, and then Wes's stepfather is in Chicago. And I ended up talking to his stepfather, Tom, as well. And I think that after really connecting with his family and learning more about Wes and his story growing up and then also just spending time with Wes and talking to him and really, um, you know, he he really told me a lot about his life and growing up and um, what he had gone through. And he really, to me... Um, was interested in trying to change his life and get to a better life in terms of housing and mental health and treatment for addiction. And I just told him, I said, you know, Wes, I I want to help you and I want to be a support for you and I want to be your friend. And as long as, you know, we can kind of take this journey together and, and you're you're on board too and we keep taking these positive steps together, then, you know, I'm I'm here for you, and um, and that's where it started. And we really, the first step we took together was we got his ID. He didn't have ID. It's funny, and Wes got on this, and at first I was uncomfortable with it, but uh, he would call me his sponsor mm. because he he get going on stuff, and then I I give him ideas, you know, and let's get organized, and because he'd have these little moments where he's like, I got a new idea for a business. And so, and then I'd help him, and then he's like, "You're my mentor. You're like my sponsor." And so, uh, I said, "Well, sponsor kind of means something else, but uh, I'll 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 go with what I'll you're roll with uh, it. Yeah, roll with it." <laughs> um, one thing I'll say, you know, being in recovery, uh, we're we're supposed to like reach out for the suffering alcoholic and all that, but I I immediately realized with my own experience, if there were certain points in my in my drinking history where if you were to approach me and say you really need to get sober i'm not like huh that sounds like a good idea or something mine would be to push back and push back with fury meaning i would i would drink more i'm going to show you so i offered to to wes i said if you ever want to talk or you want to do this reach out to me but i'm not going to push this on you you push an agenda on someone 
and we we as AA, we're all about acceptance, acceptance, and and I think sometimes we have to accept the idea that the person's going to come to us eventually. We just need to give them their own time. You know, he just wasn't to that place because yeah. you, you think, well, he's living on the street because his life has become unmanageable. What took me a while to to understand, and finally, at one point, he had a little conversation when we were having coffee one day in a shop, and he kind of explained his whole wanting to be on the streets you know his his view of the world and and with that talk of this is this is the way i see it as opposed to i this oh i choose to do this and i want this he just kind of expanded my mind all of a sudden i was like oh and I, now i totally get it mm. you know he was just a free spirit and he's comfortable and happy with what the exchange is what he has to give up and some of the discomfort he has to live with, cold and hot and sleeping on concrete and this, because all the benefits, all the things he wants supersede that. And so... Uh, I wonder if there's a, there was a condition where he would have been able to hold on to all his wants and still be inside. And, and the reason I ask that is, uh, you know, I've met truly at this point thousands of people that are homeless and... Nobody ever like chooses or wants homelessness because homelessness equals suffering. Yeah. But I wonder, but, but things get trumped, like you just said, like, well, I have authority issues mm-hmm. or I have anxiety or, you know, and I, it's more important for me to take care of these things than to actually be inside where I can't actually address those things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Wes was able to, to visualize a world where he could be inside and still have those needs of his met. I wonder if that was if there was a if there was a if the Venn diagram ever overlapped where some place existed or if it just wasn't conceivable in his mind. Uh, I don't know if you've had the, if you had any conversations like that with him. No, but I somehow felt like being outside. He he felt like it was his way of being in control, uh, and my wife and I and she's. A, big advocate for the West, we would have these discussions at time to, from time to time where she says, well, you think if we had him come in and he could sleep down in the, in the room in the downstairs? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you this, that Wes has, has created a routine now. So he gets up at three in the morning because that's when his mind wakes up. That's when all the, he's journaling and he's yeah. texting you. Years are moving. Yeah. He's texting you or emailing you at two in the morning or three. And and so I know he's up and moving. I'm not sure you want to have someone walking around our house at three in the morning because it's not like he had bad boundaries. He just wouldn't always think, well, maybe I shouldn't go upstairs where they are while they're sleeping, you know. So, um, and I, that might have sounded a little mean, but I just knew that. No, there's a practicality to that yeah, too. Like, we were trying to figure out how we could plug him into a more comfortable situation. One of the difficulties getting close to someone outside is that you begin to care for them. Caring changes everything. It's hard to not go into the fix-it mode. And when at night, when you put your head on your pillow and the rain is pouring down, it's hard to not have your heart hurt. I asked Mindy about this, how she navigated the difference between her living condition and Wes's. He would just text me or call me, uh, and he'd be, you know, I'm at Fisherman's Terminal, or I'm at the PCC in Fremont in the garage. So I would go get him, 
and he would pack his stuff into my back of my car and um, we would just drive to appointments or I would take him on errands with me a lot um, because I wanted, you know, I was like, he wants to just be in the car and be warm or just talk or, you know, he would even sleep in my car sometimes when I would go, you know, I went to University Village one day, I had to do a bunch of things and he slept in the car in the garage. Yeah. And you met him in August, which means you were you, the first month or two, end of summer, but you were heading into winter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one thing that I that I always told them, like, hey, we got to, we're working on housing and we really need to, you know, focus on this because it's, the weather's, it's turning. It's going to change, you know. Yeah. You makes you tear up because you know that he slept in concrete garages and yeah. places that were pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, you know, I felt, sorry, okay. I felt, um, I always felt so guilty when I would spend the day with him, you know, and we would, you know, I'd take him to the doctor or we'd have lunch at Burger Master or... You know, we were always going places to get lunch or food or dinner and going to appointments and, and we'd have a great day. And then, you know, I'd drop him off in a garage and I would go home and it just felt really bad. Yep. I, I'll i share a, uh, an insight that, you know, over the years, uh, getting to meet a lot of people that are homeless and that is that it's really a proximity problem. Right, like if you're at a fine dining place with your with your sweetheart, and you're enjoying this incredible meal, right? And at the very same time, somebody's under a bridge somewhere, you know, in this city. A, a lot of bridges, a lot of people, um, and they're suffering. You can still enjoy your meal uh, because they're they're not close by. But uh, if you took one of those folks. Maybe they had an uh, ulcerated leg and it was bleeding, and you put them right at your foot of your table. You couldn't, you couldn't enjoy your meal because you would see this person suffering. And I think, you know, that's what you've done by reaching out to Wes is you've closed the gap, right? Like you, you brought yourself close, and then, and now you're emotionally part of his journey, right? Yeah. Somehow, I think we all have to come closer. So that, yeah. so that we can know how to act and know how to feel, you know, appropriately. You know, Wes, he 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 um he, he made my life richer and he brought a lot of joy to me and you know, we would have fun. We would be in the car and he would play all this different kinds of music for me and he would he would change all my stations, pre do all the presets, you know, all his stations that he liked and uh we would dance to like Michael Jackson PYT and and um, he would you know play songs that he told me his mother loved and they would listen to you know he would ask me Mindy can you buy me a basketball when we're at Fred Meyer looking for shoes and I was like Wes what do you how are you going to carry this thing around you know like it's not going to fit in your bag come on come on please just you know and I said okay I said well I'll buy it for you then you show me some moves show you're bragging about it all the time let's go to the park show me some moves and so we we went to the park in Ballard, and he was a very talented athlete, and he he still had some moves. He was he was doing it, um, you know. Like I said, I take him on errands all the time, and and I was getting ready for this Seattle Animal Shelter auction that I was on the committee for. So I was one day 
picking up all the different auction items and, and stuff. And he came with me and he was super excited and he helped me. And I mean, we, it was probably like four hours we spent that day picking things up. And then uh, we got to the Nordic Museum in Ballard and dropped him off. And then I had a backdrop, picture backdrop that we needed to set up. And I said, okay, Wes, you you do it. You put it together. I, I don't, you know. And he was so great with things like that. He was so handy. And he was focused and engaged. And he just went for it. And, and it was perfect, you know. And he was really proud. And, and he was really happy. And I remember that. So that day, he, um, I took him, you know, back. Um, to Magnolia and then I went to the auction with my husband and Anna got this email when I was at the auction and um it was from Wes and you know he he said oh gosh Mindy this is you know it was such a great day thanks for bringing me with you um and he said you know I have more to offer you know thanks so much my friend and um I was sitting at the auction you know at the table with all these people and I was reading this email and I, and it just um it just really like got to my heart you know because I was like this this person is you know really really um he's a person he's a real person and he is doing these things with me and I know he's trying and, and it's just so hard you know there was just so many things that um he was struggling with I I really liked coming home to him being at the house because I always told him, you know, you can you can you can sleep here and if you want because he liked to sleep in front of my truck by the garage and then um, would he pitch a tent or would no he just, he just, just brought his bedding just, and yeah. and some cardboard and stuff and I bought him some new bedding because I um, he needs something better so I I just told him you know if you ever just need some place to to be. You know, just make yourself at home on the patio. So it got to a point where if I came home and he wasn't on the patio, I felt like, like, I felt a little butthurt. I feel like, uh, look, look, my girlfriend's not coming over kind of thing. You know, that kind of, yeah. I'm disappointed. Oh. Yeah. And um, so I, I would get to that intersection and I could see over. And it was always great because I'd be parked there ready for my turn to turn and I could see him either moving around or sitting up here reading. And I'm like, yay, my, my <laughs> dude's here. I think that's one of the things when I first met him, there's this sense of ease that I felt with him and a sense of extreme trust. And, you know, he really was very conscientious of, he, he had some, he had very good boundaries in, in, in knowing that, you know, what, what he should and should not be doing. And he said that's one of the reasons he didn't spend a lot of time hanging out with a lot of homeless people or in encampments because there's a lot of thieving and, and stuff that just went so against his nature. Yeah. So he just liked to be by himself. At one time he, he did get uh, kind of attacked by some other homeless and he took at that time his little push cart that he had, which saddened me because he had all his books in there. And he had one book that turned out it's a book I had in high school and we, we spent a lot of time reading that and talking about it. And I just was bummed that he lost that book because it was a stolen. connection point. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they wanted his books, but they just took the whole card and yeah, um, that really yeah, that was sad. You know, one of the things that you're you're sharing, I think, is 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 missed by a lot of people on the you know in the general public living inside, is that when we talk about the issue of homelessness, we we invariably talk about you know what can we do for them. 
like what what do they need and, and what can we do for them but we don't hear too often what they are doing for us mm-hmm. and you know what you're sharing is that he enriched your life right like that you, oh yes that you you were looking forward to his company and and the things that you you know that you got to share back and forth was equally valuable to you as it was to him yeah and i've said this to my wife who said it to my friends you know especially now he's passed i was just explaining you know my grief of course but i was just uh felt like i felt like i'd lost something because he was teaching me so much and i was learning so much just again seeing the world through his eyes and how he saw things made it shifted how i saw things and it made things bigger and more interesting I'm not saying he's a character character, but he just, he was really, truly interesting. You know, if you can get him talking about his family or some of the experiences, especially when you get into talking music, then he's got a thousand stories about this and that. It's never a dull moment, let's just put it that way. What would you say to people that haven't had experiences meeting people that are homeless, like based on your experience getting to know Wes? It wasn't like I was trying to take care of Wes, but I think my mother's caretaking nature is in me. And when I, when I helped other people and are prone to reach out to help people I see on the street or otherwise, uh, and then just with Wes, it's just like I I have this need to 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 care for something without any strings attached. And there's a real joy and a freedom with knowing that there's there's no exchange here. And um, it's not conditional. Yeah. And I think most of all, um, I, I think with there's a there's a couple of homeless people who are up by the project I'm working on right now, and I, you know, um, I make a point when they're there because sometimes they'll see me and then I'll wave to them. And the other day I opened the door because I was working on the front entry of a home, and and I I just asked the guy, hey, how are you doing today? You know, because I'm seriously, I'm genuine in like, Once how are you doing? Yep. And I see you. Because I think that's a big part is people are avoiding them due to the awkwardness of having to talk with someone and maybe they'll ask for money. And so we shut them off and we pretend we don't see them. And I I think uh, I've experienced enough feeling disenfranchised myself due to whatever, either alcoholism or just my own self-worth issues. But there's nothing worse than feeling like you're invisible. So I, I make a point when I... When I'm out and about and I see them, you're there. I, yeah, see, I see you. Yeah. If I can help, yes, with within reason and also um, uh, just uh, giving them a sincere hello. Because yeah. everyone says, how are you? But it's it's when you have to say, no, how are you yeah. doing? Yeah, you're actually human to human having a yeah. moment. Yeah, because sometimes you could get them at a point where they just needed that acknowledgement. I know that from my own experience. Somebody just says this, the most minuscule thing to you, but the timing is perfect. And what they said to you is just so minuscule, but it it just delivers. And you suddenly your day, I wouldn't say brighter, but it turns, it's turn, you're turning a corner and putting it in a totally different directory. Uh, so I, I'm... Totally agree with that. Yeah. It's, even if you're not homeless, the power of somebody genuinely genuinely saying hello to you Mm-hmm. Even when everything's going your way and a stranger says, hey man, how's it going? Mm-hmm. You know, like you can feel it. Like even that, you're like, whoa, 
that person actually genuinely wanted to say hi to me, and you know, like there is worth in that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to that. I know when I come off the freeway off ramps and I lower the window and I say to somebody, "Hey, how's it going, man? You doing okay?" Been doing that for probably twelve, fourteen years ish. Not one person has ever said, "Hey, can I have some money?" Because the moment of actually just connecting trumps that moment of saying, "Hey, I need some money," or "I need something yeah. else." Like it, it, it is. It's very valuable currency. Uh, yeah. Connection is. I want to jump in to share briefly about my own friendship with Wes. I first met him back in 2012 when my architecture office was in the Fremont neighborhood. By that time, the office had turned into a drop-in center due to the fact that I had started a Facebook page titled Facing Homelessness. The intent for me was to show people experiencing homelessness as beautiful and worth knowing, just like all of us. It was a call to the community to come closer and get involved with those struggling on our streets. I remember the first time Wes and I met. It was on the covered bench by the canal, right out front of my office. I don't remember who said hello first, but I do know that I have never been drawn so quickly into deep conversation by a complete stranger. And after maybe two hours, I finally said, I had to go, but we promised to continue the conversation next time we saw each other. I left feeling exhilarated by the exchange. He was clearly smart, but not just that. He was thoughtful and curious. He was also extremely handsome, and by that I mean captivating. His eyes were strikingly beautiful. A few days later, after another long chat, I asked West what I had initially wanted to ask him, but didn't want to sound too eager, and that was if I could photograph him. I was getting pretty comfortable photographing folks living outside, and up until that point, I don't believe anyone had said no to me. So when I asked Wes, he said, no, I don't think so. I replied nonchalantly, okay, no worries. But my inside voice was like, what, really, seriously? Because like, I was really wanting to photograph him. Over the next few months, Wes had figured out that my office was this place for folks living outside to come and gather, to grab a coffee, warm up, use the bathroom, and just chat with friends. In the front room, I had a whole wall-sized board where I put up four-by-six black-and-white photos of people I was meeting that were homeless. Wes would come in, hang out, look at the photos, but never say anything about it. And then... Maybe four months later, one day, he just walked into my office and said, Okay, you can take my photograph. We were both smiling big because he knew I had outweighed him. When Wes came into the office to look through clothing donations, his process was unlike anyone else's. He knew exactly what he was looking for. Most of the time, he didn't take anything. Nothing was quite right. He did have a look. It was this combination of being seriously nicely dressed up with some creative twist. Like, the combinations shouldn't go together, but with him they did. I also remember often when Wes would see me outside, he would yell out to me from a ways off, telling me to wait. As he rushed up, he would be pulling a book out of his bag and saying, Oh my God, oh my God, have you read this book? Usually I would have to say no, 
which was an entry point for him to dive in, telling me something wonderful that he was learning. I miss those moments. For me, it captures the charm and depth of who Wes was. One of the the more difficult times I remember was when Wes was banned from the Ballard Library. There was some complaint made against him, and then some further miscommunication, and suddenly he was not allowed to visit. The library wasn't just a warm place for Wes. It was his connection to books and access to knowledge on the Internet. He was in a very dark place over it. After some back and forth with library management, Wes was again allowed to visit. And the struggle of it all reminded me how important something as simple as walking into a library is, how easy it is to miss the barriers those experiencing homelessness have to navigate every day. Books, magazines with articles he found special, and family photos were all important to Wes. I started seeing lots more of him once I agreed to store his books and memorabilia in my architecture office. He would show up to drop something off or just to go through a book already there. His presence in my office was something beautiful for me. I asked Mindy to help us better understand Wes's love for knowledge and books. When I first met him, he had a like a Rubbermaid like plastic, you know, container full of full of books and National Geographic. He loved Nat Geo, and um, he had like a little, uh, you know, I don't know what you call those grocery kind of rolling cart. It wasn't a, it wasn't like a shopping grocery cart, but like. I don't know. He had so he had that in there, and then his blankets, and I was always like, "How do you carry all this stuff around?" Um, but he loved his books, and he always had his books. And um, you know, we'd go to the Ophelia Bookstore in Fremont, and he knew everyone there, and he knew everyone at all the libraries. His his aunt Patty got him a subscription to National Geographic to his mailbox at the Ballard Food Bank. And so he was super excited about that. And we would always go pick it up and he would, you know, get it. And he'd be sitting in the car and be like, Mindy, look at this, you know. And and um, then he would also, you know, give me give me presents of different Nat Geos. And he would tell me all about them. And he'd, this is for you and Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It makes me laugh to think, I haven't thought of this before, but... Uh, Makes me laugh to think about how many people stored books for Wes at any given moment. You know? I still have a box full in my garage right I, now. All of a sudden, I just I could see like there maybe there are ten people out there that have Wes's books scattered around the city. Talking with Mindy and Martin, it reminded me of the saying, "It takes a village." I asked Martin how he and Mindy ended up meeting. How did you and Mindy meet? Were you you weren't friends before Wes, were you? No, no. He just all of a sudden he'd show up with something new. And not something frivolous, it was something he needed. But it was something a little high-end, meaning it's more than a yeah, couple where'd bucks. That, where'd you get that? Uh, yeah, and it, no, he's like, look at this. And then it just Mindy, 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 Mindy bought me this. Mindy Mindy took me to coffee. I had, I had lunch with Mindy. Uh, you should meet Mindy. I talk about you to Mindy all the time. Uh, uh, and so one day, um, one day she was coming to pick him up. And so he's like, "Yeah, come by, meet Martin." So uh, I got to, I got her to, you know, see his skill sets that that uh, I was taking advantage of, and uh, I got to meet her because I'm thinking, uh, not so much like who's this lady giving him a fair shake to, but um, 
there was something the way he described what she, you know, her and his and how she was treating him and stuff. I just thought um, I want this is really unique because she obviously again it's it's Colleen. We have a shared experience. I thought maybe she's got it. She she saw that thing that I saw. She registered his sincerity and his caring and, and that he's he's just a good person at heart and not to mention and, and she had brought it up just you know how well spoken he was so, uh, but so i just was eager to meet her and we 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 then we were this sounds terrible maybe uh we would compare notes we would text each other just saying what well, you know i took co- him to talk coffee today or we went to and because he viewed her very much as a mother figure and he would have a lot of these sharing about his family and his past where with me he wanted to share we get talking about his books and i think he he somehow viewed me as being an intellectual of something so his was all about information that he would offer me and and um so she was more the emotional and you were more the intellectual. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you, were, so, you guys were feeding both of them, yes. both sides of him. So we <laughs> would, we would, we would text each other, uh, kind of to get a balanced look at what's going on with him that day. Oh. Or if he was having some issues or was going through something, I, I would check in with her. Have you seen him? Or if I hadn't seen him in a couple of days, you know, I get really worried. Um, cause I would, you know, just, I, I got, Again, I got really into just having him here. He he became a family member that I I looked forward to, and and I know that he moves around depending on the time of the year because he wants to go places like up in Ballard and Fremont for where the parking garages are because he can stay. So when he started to not come around as much, um, and he was having trouble keeping his phone, so it's just like yeah. I, I got slightly disconnected with him, and that really bothered me because I. It's like when he sleep would sleep in our driveway in front of the truck by the garage door. Um, I always like to get up and and first thing I do is look out the window to see if he's there and is he okay. You, you know, when I hear you talk about Mindy, um, it's hard not to think about it takes a village. Like if our communities were structured in that way, like we were all engaged somehow in the lives of somebody that was struggling, what a difference that would be. I mean, quite a profound difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's a shame is that when I talk to Mindy and then now hearing you and others that have reached out, it's like they all feel like they're the ones that got the most out of the deal. Yeah. Right? So it's not like a, like it's a, a burden or a, you know, something that, you know, a duty. It, it's, actually, it's actually a gift that is just sitting there for all of us. Uh, but somehow we we we, we miss it. it it's that's perplexing to me there was so much that he was giving me just by being there you know and i just it's one thing to grieve a loss because it's someone you love but it's another thing just there's this all this knowledge and all this experience and a lot, a lot of times it's just good to to really hear someone's story their arc I mean, with Wes, you know, he had his 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 rambling, you know, coming from there and going here and this and all his experiences here in Seattle, and it's just uh, it's just really life affirming because of he he seemed to all regard it as a, just this great adventure to him. It was a it was a very um, positive 
experience that, you know, what he was going through, which is great. Um, and I think that's where I had to learn. I kept thinking I'd somehow I got to alter his situation. I've got to alter his thinking because I need to plug him into my my existence. And I think I, I, at one point I just had this epiphany just to strip that away and just accept him, view the world through through how he was moving through it. Yeah. And it brought me a lot of joy because I then started to experience the, all the wonderful things that he yeah, gets out of a day. It. Yeah. Yeah. He did struggle. I mean, you know, I, I know the disconnect from family was mm. caused a lot of pain for him. And I think those relationships, I think relationships in general were very important to him. And the ones that weren't working, I think, pained him. Yes. I don't know if you, would, if you experienced or have knowledge of that as well. I knew when, say, you know, he'd make a bad decision or something or do something and Mindy wasn't altogether happy with him, you know, he, he'd come to me. He, he was so worried that it meant the end of something. He, you know, I had to console him that she's angry and she has the right to be, but she hasn't stopped loving you and she just needs to express that. I asked Mindy how knowing West changed her life. You know, we're all just human. We're all just people doing the best we can. And uh, no one's, you know, life is ever just a straight line. And um, I think Wes really taught me that or how to see people, right? And people who are unhoused and on the street. And, and instead of, you know, just walking by or thinking, you know, they're not there, it's just really making it, you know, making me want to see them and, and connect with them as people. And I think for me, you know, he just really kind of it opened my eyes to, to being able to see to see people, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. And I would always tell him, you know, I see you, you know, I see you, Wes. Like, I see the real Wes. And, um, and he knew that, you know, and he would respond to that and in and, and even in emails he'd say you know the real Wes he's like I have more to offer the real Wes it's and, a powerful line I have more to offer yeah it speaks into the fact that most people that are homeless feel invisible and are seen as being kind of empty or worthless and I think that's got to be a a strong frustration and emotion in people that are outside they're not being seen for who they are, like, and and not and and what they're good at are, is not being used or even seen. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that before I met Wes, I had a much more, I don't know what to call it, maybe negative view of people who are unhoused or all the issues that are happening in our city, and you know, just um, I, I wasn't connected to it this closely, and in it really changed the way that I um, think about all of the issues going on in our city and unhoused people and addiction and mental health. Um, and so when I encounter housed people that, you know, feel, feel like they have the answer or why, why are, you know, this is a choice or why are these people, you know, it, it um, upsets me because I, uh, I don't know, why anyone would choose to be homeless, you know, and I don't, I don't think they do. And I think that West really showed me that um, it's just so complex, you know, 
there's no easy, easy answer. And, and, um, I'm, you know, I'm a college graduate. I have a job. I'm a functioning, you know, person in society. And let me tell you, it was really hard to find services in terms of housing for him and treatment. And it's just, nothing's connected. It's hard. And so if I, if I can't even do it, I'm like, how, how, how is someone, you know, who, who doesn't have the advantages I have had in my life, how are they supposed to do it, you know? It's impossible. Honestly, I've been on phones before. <laughs> many, this is, this is a many time occurrence, especially when I first started doing this, where I would be talking to somebody on the phone and after 45 minutes, out of a certain level of frustration, I would just say, look, I run an architectural practice. I have my architecture degree. I'm functioning in society. Like I have a, I'm like really present with you right now. I don't know what you're telling me. I can't figure out. I'm standing here with, you know, with Sam. Mm -hmm. And I've explained this all to you. And I can't understand what you're saying the next best step for this person is. I, I can't. That I thought, if I, if I can't do that, and I have all I had a good night's sleep, my belly's full right, of food, right. and I'm clear-minded, and I'm not uh, medicating, and I can't navigate it. Uh, there's a problem. Yeah, something's really wrong, and and it doesn't doesn't make sense why it's so hard, and why things just aren't connected. What would you say to someone who's nervous about reaching out to somebody on the street? Gosh, um, I would say just say hello, just um, ask some questions, just get to know someone. Um, you don't have to invite them over to your home when you first talk to them. You don't have to, you know, give them a ride anywhere in your car. Just just, just take that first step, you know. And I think you'll be really surprised at the response. I think that a lot of times, too, when I have actually, you know, engaged someone who's unhoused, they're shocked. You know what I mean? They're, they look at you and they're like, are you, you're talking to you're me? You're talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then um, it's a really good experience. And, and I always try to ask people, what's your name? You know what I mean? Because I think for a lot of people who are in house, no one ever asks them their name. Like, and, it, and I feel like, you know, it, it, it helps them too, because it reminds them like, hey, this is me. And I'm really here. And I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. So who was Wes Green? We know through his friends and his community that he loved books and knowledge. He was thoughtful and caring. He would regularly give his clothing away to those who needed them more. He was genuine and profound. He was very well-dressed and very good-looking. His relationships with other people meant the world to him. We also know that Wes was using fentanyl, with his intake increasing dramatically at the end. Mindy and Martin were becoming alarmed. It's really the last time I saw him was the night he died. He, he called me and said, can I see you? I said, sure, come by. And he says, like, no, I need to see you right now. So I'm like, dude, I'll be, just tell me where I'll, I'll be there. He was really despondent because him and Mindy had had an argument about him and taking fentanyl and being irresponsible. And um, I just kept reassuring him that, you know, it's okay. You know, we, we, our anger is an expression of our fear and our concern. 
We don't know how to process it. And I told him, I said, I myself have lost too many people to addiction. I said, I can't lose you. I can't lose you. I just want him to know that just because we're unhappy with something doesn't mean we don't love him. And he seems to just, he would get really fixated on, on oh, this kind of like, this is the end. Um, and I'm like, dude, no, no, this is what goes on. This is what happens with people. And I, you know, there's just this weird vibe I was getting, you know, at the time. And he wasn't feeling well because he had done fentanyl the day before and that really made him sick. And so I knew that he, he, his, the frequency by which he was taking it was increasing. And I, I knew probably at this point he's addicted because, you know, he'd been messing with it for a couple months now. And I haven't had, say, a chemical dependency to, to be able to commiserate with that kind of unique craving, that kind of unique physical and emotional pain that it brings. I told him, I know that I talked to you about stop drinking, but I don't care about that. If we could just put our attention to this one thing. Again, I just begged him. I, I got, I just can't, it sounds self, it was just like, I can't lose you. I, you are too important to me. He just seemed so out of sorts. He would have these bouts of, you know, he's, these really highs where he'd come and he, you almost think he was on something, but he was just, his mind was clicking and he was super excited and super happy. And, and it, it could be a bit much to handle, but it was, you know, he was feeling good. And then he, he and I could relate to this and, and I would tell him, I know, I know exactly what you're feeling because he would get here and he'd be really depressed and going through something. And, uh, and like depression, it, it's not centered around a thing. It's just, it is. It's just an experience and a pain. It's not anchored to anything. And so that's where it confuses us because we think that, oh my, this happened, so therefore I'm, I'm feeling poorly. It's just you feel poorly and it, it, it's confusing and painful. And, and so, you know, that's when I'd really take time off to spend the day with him or, Tell him to stay around the house. You know, you know, I'll be back later, or or I take him with me on my projects, and just keep him close. If he wanted to talk, I was there, but also just, I don't know. I just loved him, and I worried. I just again wanted to know that I completely understand what he was going through. Good. He's not alone, and I know it. None of that makes sense. Not not what I'm saying, but what he was feeling. It doesn't make sense to you. That's what's depression is so weird because it it's occurring in it. It's just it's, again, it's not grounded in anything. It's just there. Both Martin and Mindy are deeply affected by Wes's passing. I asked what they would like to say to Wes. What would you want to say to Wes? You know, I would want to say that I love you, Wes, and I'm sorry that um, that we couldn't get you into the treatment program that day, and that, um, you know, we were in the middle of a disagreement the last time that I talked to him, and I'm just, I'm sorry that I couldn't do more, you know, I'm sorry. And and I also would want to tell him, you know, thank you for bringing 
just so much richness and joy to my life and for allowing me to to know and see the real Wes. You know, I do have a lot of guilt. You know, what if this? What if what if the treatment center would have been open on Monday when I took him there and he wanted to go? And what if I would have gotten him his hotel room on the other night, you know, and not the night I did because it was so much colder that night. Oh, just a lot of things that um, they just could have gone different, you know. He would still be here, and so I just... I know you know this, but you, you know that you can't take that on. You know the what-ifs. You know that. I know. I mean, doesn't mean that those feelings aren't there, but at the bottom of it, you have to know that you made, you made Wes's last five months of his life extremely rich and beautiful and and he no doubt felt your love you know i also i also loved my friendship with him and i'm grateful that he met you and got to enjoy your presence and your gifts yeah and i think you know i think wes is smiling right now because um he had all these people, you know, and, and he would mention you to me and he would mention so many people. And I feel like now he's connecting all of us. Yeah. And I, I feel, you know, that's such a great thing. And he would be so happy about that. What would you say to him right now if he was here? I think what I always tell him is, I love you, buddy. I love you more than you know, because I'm not sure he got or maybe he did, that how much he meant to me. And and just having him around, him being in the house for the day when I was kicking around here or hanging out on the porch and just sitting with him and, uh, or coming home and he's there uh, on the porch just lit me up. I was like, ah, great. I don't think he realized how much that meant to me to find him here. And uh, I know when he was getting ready to mosey on, you know, to wherever he's going to sleep or something. And I always say, you sure you don't want to hang out some more? <laughs> <laughs> I, it was kind of sad. It's kind of like, you're, you know, your friend has to go home now, but uh, I didn't. I wanted to keep playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Martin is in the process of opening up a coffee shop. He had put that idea on the back burner, but when telling Wes, Wes inspired him to follow through on his dream. Now Martin is motivated more than ever to get to the grand opening of his coffee shop. He reflected about a time earlier when he shared his project with Wes. I had this notebook with all my drawings. It shows the concept of the whole thing. And so his mind was just like, wah. And I guess, though he seemed excited-ish at the time, he would not stop talking to Mindy about it. Like, oh my God, oh my God. And then it came up again where he, he was talking about what's it going to take to get it going. And it just, it, it did, I, I would say, he actually reignited me to like his encouragement that made me like, I, I got to take a, some time and really focus on seeing what it will take this time. That's beautiful. Uh, so again, I think it would, it would have been a kind of a joint effort. This week I, yeah. I was down there demolishing a wall and putting stuff away and I just thought we'd be having we if he was still here we'd be having the time of our lives because he'd be in there working and he could bust stuff up and he'd mm -hmm. just be making all kinds of observations he, he's when you got Wes talking and he's kind of seeing really thoroughly articulating what he thinks and feels about these things it was 
so unique and so fascinating. When is your, do you know your opening date yet? Um, I do not because it's all contingent on the availability of certain materials and contractors coming in. I figure I, I will will kind of open sometime in, in April because I'll need most of February to get this pulled together. And I have kind of thought about, you know, what am I going to do when I open for people who are like Wes, who just maybe they do want to come in. Maybe they want something, but they don't have the means, but at least they get to get something. I just thought I'd always be offering them a cup of coffee or a water. And uh, my mind just keeps flipping, getting stuck on one point. And it's just that I still wanted to just have Wes's table for that, you know, He'd always have a place to come and sit and be for all day. And just because sometimes he, that's all he wanted, to be someplace and quiet and, and spend time with his books. You Know Me Now is produced, written, and edited by Tomas Bernatsky and me, Rex Holbein. We would like to thank Dizzy, Martin, Mindy, and Brenda for taking the time to speak with us. Also, a special thank you to Wes's family, who helped us understand his early years. There will be a memorial for Wes at the Fremont Library on April 22nd from 1 to 3 p.m. It is open to the public, and we hope you'll join us. You Know Me Now has a Facebook and Instagram page where you can join in on the conversation. We also have a website at www. YouKnowMeNow.com, where you can see photos of Wes as well as read other stories of folks we feel you should know. Thanks as always for listening.